Hey, we at, baby? Spud here. I've met a lot of people, and I've played some, too. And there's one thing I know. People like to talk. <laughs> it's the Spudcast. That's where you at. Hey, where at, baby? How y'all making this morning? Actually, this evening. Thanks for joining me here on a Sunday, here on the Spudcast Podcast. I'm talking out my ass with uh, Alistair Ramsey, who sounds like he's the guy who makes cool crap for uh, James Bond, but he's not. He's Dr. Alistair Ramsey with a PhD kind of doctor, and he's in charge of microbiology and parasitology and a couple other ologies over at the LSU Health Sciences Center. We're going to talk about the vaccine, and we can talk about the COVID cootie, and we can just talk because he's, he's, he's British and he talks fancy. So we'll talk fancy with Alistair Ramsey uh, right after this. Spud here for Serentine Comfort Systems. You've heard a lot of hot air out of me before. Well, now I'm talking comfortable, clean, germ-free air with the new iWave air purifier. It knocks down cooties, even COVID, from your home or business. Pathogens, allergens, particles, even smoke and odors. Wave goodbye with the iWave from Serentine. Quick install, no maintenance, 25 bucks a month. Give the gift of healthy air this year. Call Serentine Comfort Systems at 504-833-8831. 833-8831 or go to srscomfort.com. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? The next time you have to travel, take along a couple of pounds of Parish coffee, and you won't be missing New Orleans for long. Brewed right here in the land of coffee lovers, Parish coffee has the taste you're looking for. From dark roast to coffee and chicory to flavored coffees like Bananas Foster or Bourbon Pecan, French Vanilla or King Cake or you name it, Parish coffee has a flavor just right for you. Look for the bright purple bag in the coffee aisle of your favorite market. Or order it online. Have it sent right to your door. What a perfect gift for any coffee aficionado. Sip the soul of New Orleans in every cup of Parish Coffee. Spot here. You know I like to tease attorney Mike Brandner. Go big or go home. Go Mike. Mike's got the big one. And he sings that little song he has to. And Brandner laughs at the joke too because he's got a great sense of humor. He doesn't take himself too seriously. But you know what he does take seriously? His clients. When it comes to fighting in court for the interest of his clients, that's where the laughter stops and the serious work begins. He's not afraid of the insurance company lawyers because he used to be one. And now he's on your side of the aisle. And that's where you want him to be. Get the big result. Go big. Get Mike. 345 Okay, so we're on the Spudcast podcast talking out my ask with um, Alistair Ramsey, Ph.D. from the LSU Health Sciences Center. So, Alistair, thanks for taking the time to join me today. I I know how busy you got there. I got your name from my neighbor, Ben Kelly, who does parasites. And I was trying to talk to him, and he went, no, no, you got to speak to Alistair. Okay, I'm good. Let's go. There you go. You're a a Ph.D., and you are in charge of the— vaccination department over at LSU Health Sciences Center? Well, it's actually the microbiology and immunology department. So we, we look into the immune response and development of to all sorts of viruses, bacteria, you know, and we, we do research and we teach students. And to the, next, to the next batch coming up, I mean, I'm not a science person. Uh, you know, I mean, when I was in high school, I... Um, the valedictorian of my class was in my chemistry class. And actually, my chemistry teacher worked on the Manhattan Project. We didn't give him a lot of grief. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, I, I failed every test. I, I studied every day and failed every test. But the only thing that let me pass was when we actually physically did the experiments, 
you know, I mine came out great. Like we made soap and my valedictorian soap was this crumbly little stuff. And I made a nice big bar of soap and I got a toothpick and drew a clock and wrote dial on it. And so who I didn't know what I was doing, but I could do it. Um, so that's the extent of my of my science and understanding. So a, a lot of my questions might sound pretty stupid, but they're coming from the layest of laymen that we can get. <laughs> Uh, vaccination okay. now is okay. I remember getting the little uh, the little purple sugar cubes for polio and whatever the sock vaccine and all those things are. If I a vaccination basically fills you full of or puts dead cooties in your body, so your body will actually build up an immune system to them, so that if you're infected by live ones, your body's already prepared to deal with it is is that kind of it yeah that's that's a good summary i mean that the the sugar cube you took that i had when i was a kid as well actually had not a dead cootie on it but a, a very much weakened live one so that's another way they can do it they kind of weaken the in that case the polio virus and it sets up a little harmless infection in you and and you've got immunity most of them are dead or just pieces of the the, the, the cootie that uh, your body's going to see and react as if it were the, the real thing. So as you say, when you encounter the real thing, you, you're ready. Well, if, the, if part of it was dead, why why didn't they inject us with the stuff that killed part of it and killed all of it, you know? Yeah. Or, or that, but that would not build up antibodies. Yeah, probably. I think they found in that case that the, the live one that was actually growing in you in your in your tummy actually after you took the sugar cube produced a better kind of immune response it sort of approximated the the live virus a lot better than than the dead one but in some cases the dead one's perfectly fine for for a strong immune response you know the flu shot that people get every year uh some people is is a killed flu virus or three strains of the flu virus actually and that seems to be good enough to protect a lot of people from catching the flu but the flu virus is, is like well, for, I mean, it's their best guess. Now, I mean, they got to be a million different flu strains, and and I mean, they got to put three of them in there, and their best—that's their best guess of the three that are going to come at you. But that doesn't mean you can't catch a cold, and that doesn't mean you can still catch another strain of another flu. Totally, but they've got a good flu, good system with flu, and that they look at what's kind of circulating in another part of the world. And they predict a year ahead and pick the best three. But you're perfectly right. There might be another strain and you you may only have partial immunity to that one. But in general, it's the three that are going to be most prevalent during that flu season. And that's, that's how they've worked it out with years of experience and trial and error. Of mm -hmm. course, the, this one's different. The, the, the current vaccines are different than that. Well, that's what I want to talk about. But I, I still want a little bit better sure. understanding of what's going on. How many people? Yeah. Okay. Because I know I, I I didn't realize this until I interviewed uh, Jerry Satanovich. Uh, he's emergency room doctor. He's the coroner at Jefferson Parish now, but at the time he wasn't. But you know, he told me thirty six some odd thousand, thirty six to fifty thousand people a year die of the flu, and I didn't know that. I mean, it's mostly yeah. people who are compromised, or the very old, or the very young, and True. those you would think would be the ones to actually go get the actual flu shot every year. But really, and for true, there's 350 million odd people in this, and all of us are odd, quite frankly, 350 odd million people in the country, and they don't do 350 million doses of the flu virus, and they ain't going to do 350 million doses of the uh, coronavirus. 
No, however much they'd like to. There's really, about the coronavirus, only going to be about 40 million doses available between now and, I guess, you know, the, the fall or the, the, the spring, rather, and maybe the beginning of the summer. So really, it's a question of prioritising. Just as with the flu shot, I guess they really, as you say, try and target the elderly, uh, although anyone can rock up to Walgreens or whatever and get, get the flu shot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's It's really most important for people who might have asthma or some other factor that would make the flu really bad as well as as you say immune compromised elderly people and it, it certainly does benefit those people you know it's not a full protective thing but it's, it's benefit but there's always enough flu shots uh, for those who want them for those who um, want this, yeah well it's a it's a it's a choice thing you know i mean a lot of people are recommended by their family physician to go along and have a flu shot mm -hmm. uh, we get our kids flu shots because you know I mean personally I get the flu real bad so I make sure I take it every year and I haven't had the flu for a while now so uh, I had for me it works I've, I've had you don't really want to have it again no it's 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 miserable and I mean I was in my late 20s both times it was, it was about a year apart and uh yeah so that's when I started getting the flu shot I didn't get it every year and then I got married with kids and that's like yeah we all go get the flu shot especially since they did the little misty thing up the nose, because my kids hate needles, but they don't right. do it now. Right. But when they were kids, they just forget it. They're kicking and screaming. But that, what's the <laughs> difference between up the nose and, and in the arm? Is one more potent than the other? Up the nose yeah, is just it's, easier? It's actually, yeah, it's a bit like the, the polio thing that you were talking about. The in the arm ones are dead flu virus, three strains. So the up the nose ones are a live one that's a, a seriously weakened. So it, it means it sets up a very mild infection in your lungs or in your upper respiratory tract where the virus infects. And it was thought for a while that that's probably going to give you better immunity. Um, I'm not sure how the data's panned out on that. I think the, the, the in-the-arm shot with the killed vaccine is probably just as good. But the option was there, you know. So Well, I'm just wondering how that, many people have a reaction to the partially live ones versus the totally dead ones. Yeah, I don't know. I I think they still give it. They don't give the the live one to elderly people. I think anyone over 60 or 65, simply because they haven't kind of ever done trials in people with that one. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's some hesitation and the, the, the fact that the, the, the dead one, the killed one that you get in the arm, the shot works just as well or seemingly works quite well. That's limited you know the, the the young one was really uh the sorry the live one was limited to kids really and anyone who wanted it but as you said kids found it more attractive than having a, a needle in the arm yeah. yeah but i don't think the side effects were were any any different i think it was so mild that it you know other than what the normal range of side effects that you see i don't think yeah. there was a difference between the the up the nose live one and the, the in the arm dead one and and so there's really no no data to show that somebody's having that big a, of a reaction to it. Um, not not on a population basis. I mean, it might be in certain individuals, but you know, well, I mean, I've yeah. had both, frankly. Well, you know what? I got I I had a friend in college, unfortunately, who passed away because he was uh, allergic to the uh, anesthesia that they used on him to put him asleep. He had to have yeah. throat surgery, and he he couldn't take it, so they put him under. And they did the surgery, and then when he woke up, boom, his lungs filled with fluid, and he died right there on the table. And yeah, nobody knew it was coming, but I don't know. I mean, how do, you, how do you know you're allergic to that until you actually take it? It's not like they can give you a little scratch test on your back and and see sure. if something goes wrong. I mean, 
we kind of know we're allergic to common things that we avoid, but yeah, there's always going to be cases where, you know, first time unlucky. All right. Well, when we come back here, cause we're going to take a little break. Um, Alistair Ramsey is my guest. He is, uh, the head of what's the head? You, you, you got like a, a whole bunch of, you got PhD, behind the name, but you got a whole bunch of names of where, where you in charge of over there. Uh, immunology. Well, mate, mate. Yeah, mainly it's the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Parasitology. And as you mentioned, your, your neighbor Ben is our parasitologist. Yeah, he's funny. He tells us stories, and we're like, "Dude, man, <laughs> you know, I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you go digging the leaves out of your uh, out of your gutter over right. there. You don't know what right, they have growing right. in that thing." <laughs> anyway, back with more Thouser right after this. The last place you want to be today is the emergency room. Who knows what you can pick up after waiting hours to see the doctor? Rapid Urgent Care is the answer. Eight locations in southeast Louisiana. Rapid Urgent Care means rapid relief in minutes, not hours. Doctors on site, major insurance in-network, Medicare and Medicaid too. Rapid COVID tests, x-rays, blood work, strep and flu tests in minutes at Rapid Urgent Care. Telemed visits, even some house calls. Just check in online. They'll text when you're next. The doctor will see you now. Visit rapidurgentcare.com, rapidurgentcare.com. If you find yourself near Metro Road or on breakfast time or lunch, you should make a pass by the Blue Line Sandwich Company. If you find yourself in Kenner at breakfast time or lunch, you should make a pass by the Blue Line Sandwich Company. Chalmette, the best bank uptown, make a pass by the Blue Line Sandwich Company. Chef Brad McGee uses fresh from the farm ingredients, makes his own corned beef, conchon de lait, and a jam in a day. Custom catering, dine in and carry out or let waiter bring your sandwich straight to you. The Blue Line Sandwich Company, 2023 Metro Road, a block off of Bonneville. Call Chef Brad at 504-309-3773. And we're back on the Spudcast Podcast talking to Alistair Ramsey from the LSU Health Sciences Center. He's in, in charge of microbiology, and we're talking about vaccines in general. And now we're going to talk about the COVID-19 vaccines. Let's get a little background here because all the uh, the, the rushing and the, all that kind of stuff, how long... Is it normal? How long is the normal test period for a vaccine? I mean, this one's super quick. Normally it's two, three, five years, depending on what you're trying to kill, right? Yeah, kind of how long is a piece of string. But I think in the end, you can say that this has been expedited to say the least. I mean, in, in the past, some of these vaccines have taken, certainly the, the large scale called phase three clinical trials where they actually get out and give it to many thousands of people and then go out and see who gets the disease and who doesn't. They've typically taken three or four years and then this goes through an approval process when they look at all those data. All that's been kind of sandwiched into, I guess, less than a year um, in this case. But an important thing to remember is that even though the, the two we're probably talking about are the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, and they're both very new technology, but that technology has been around for about 10 years being worked on in publicly and industry funded research. So the platform itself was developed and improved and, and, and over a period of 10 years. And it's, it's a matter of, because they're gene based or genetically based vaccines, once we had some genetic information about the SARS or the COVID virus, um, that could be rapidly put into this platform. Well, you're also uh, talking in, about we're, we're, you're talking about these other vaccines that were created were not created during a worldwide pandemic. So I mean, the, exactly everything everything being equal, uh, there were more people affected by this thing. So the the 
the effort to hurry up was already there. Whereas somebody else comes along yeah. and goes, yeah, you know what? The AIDS virus, there was phenomenal work that they did on that, but it wasn't as right. a pandemic as, as this is. No. And actually one of these vaccines or, or the platform was actually tried out in the um, case of Ebola virus. You remember two yeah. or three years ago, there was a few cases in the US, it's big panic, it was certainly in West Africa. And they actually developed an Ebola vaccine based on some of the technology they're using for these. And so, you know, it, it kind of was driven quickly by that. Um, and the, the phenomenally speedy thing is that we, what these vaccines do is just express a little bit of the surface protein that's on these virus, on the SARS virus, the COVID virus, and, and, and that tricks our immune system into thinking it's the whole virus, just like other vaccines. Mm -hmm. And we react against that harmless piece. Um, but you know, basically we had to identify and, and get the genetic code of the virus, snip out the bit that codes for or the protein that's on the surface of the virus, and put this into the vaccine platform, which is this RNA vaccine platform that, that people have been talking about, that the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are. So it's it's a combination of very rapid work on this particular virus and then banging it into people and 30, 40,000 number clinical trials at different sites all around the world mm -hmm. and crunching the numbers very quickly. And as you say, it's kind of driven by a worldwide emergency. So we couldn't sit and wait for three years, you know. No. But I think we're in a great position because the platform had been developed and then it was a matter of applying it to this virus. Well, okay, so I got two big questions about this. Number mm -hmm. one, uh, in talking with my friend up the street, Ben Kelly, uh, talking about viruses, you know, the, the actual goal of a virus is not really to kill the host. It's to, right. you know, it's to, to survive. So, and, and I mean, and talking to him is like, dude, you make it sound like they got a little brain up in there and they're actually doing stuff on purpose. He goes, no, it's just, I don't know, nature. So uh, the thing of it is that they mutate. So these things have mutated quite a bit since they were first introduced. How much mutation came along to where they were like, okay, you're going to get it, but it's not going to be any worse than, you know, not uh, the sniff, which some people get it and they have no symptoms. Some people get it and they have to go straight to ICU. So again, that's that's like the reactions to the shots before. How many times has this thing mutated? And is that what this vaccine has been designed to do that no matter how it's mutated, it's still a SARS thing, still has the proteins, and that's why it's gonna attack them all no matter what? Hopefully, you know, that, that was the idea. And the, the, the funny thing is the, the bit of the virus that's in the vaccine is the bit that it uses to get into our cells. So it, it's called the um, ACE2 receptor. It targets that, which is the way it gets into our cells. So it's got to be very careful because if the virus makes too many mutations around that side, it, it may not be able to infect us. Mm -hmm. So there's that side of the coin. So it, it needs to be kind of what we call conserved in order for the virus to remain infectious. That being said, you know there's a strain that, that certainly probably is in the US, there's been a couple, of, it was thought to have started in Britain, that's one mutation, a new one that's popped up in South Africa that's got three or four mutations. And we won't really know if they render it, um, you know, so that the vaccine against the original strain won't work until we see. I mean, we knew the virus would mutate. It, it you know, they, they, they replicate very rapidly and, and that leads to mutations, some of them random. But 
all the indications are so far that the first mutation, the one that's threading through the UK now, will not uh, make the vaccine useless. It will certainly be protective. We just have to wait and see with this new set of mutations, and I think it was first seen in South Africa where there's three or four, that, that the vaccine, we hope, but you know, the, the data will come out. The good thing about this platform, and I don't want to sort of race ahead, this vaccine platform is that it can quickly be stitched in a, the, the, the mutated version and growing up quite quickly because this is a vaccine that can be prepared very rapidly. But the focus is to, to, to see that the current vaccine that all the hoopla has been about will still work against those mutated strains. Um, right. Mutated strains could still be in a minority out there. It's still the prevalent strain is the one that the, the vaccine was initially developed again. And the more and more people are susceptible to that, although you got a lot of people out there with no symptoms whatsoever, and you got a lot of people out there have to go straight to the ICU. And are they sure. are they studying what's the difference between okay, like I got diabetes, all right. So I know forty yep, percent of the yep. people who have died had diabetes. So yeah, guess what? I'm protecting myself. But there are other people out there who who have different immune problem or different problem medical problems or whatever. And they show no signs of it at all. So, I mean, is part of their research of all of this going, what's, why did this person get sick as a dog and this person, even though they test positive, didn't so much as have to blow their nose? Yeah, there's quite a lot of scientific detail out there now about what might underlie susceptibility. I mean, people say, like you said, diabetes, hypertension, overweight, some nutritional issues, asthma, um, and these are all people who should be vaccinated, you know? Um, there's also a, a, a small number of perfectly healthy people who will, for an unknown reason, and we're still not clear, succumb to the virus. And, you know, Ben was right. The virus doesn't want to kill everyone it infects or it would soon die out, right? It, would, yeah. it wants to pass from person to person. But almost every serious virus, there's going to be a certain percentage of people who succumb to that. And, and this is an example of that. And, you know, the, the, the CDC's kind of estimated that there's, probably a big underestimation of how many people are actually infected. There could be up to eight times many more people infected than we know about, but they're, but they're which means that by now half the population could be infected. So it could be that only a small percentage of the people are going to succumb to the virus. Some will get very sick, some will get less sick, and some will just, as you say, walk away. But we well, really, unless you've got clear underlying things like diabetes, we, we still are a little bit in the dark as to, you know, who's going to succumb. All right. Well, I got two more questions. And um, sure. the, first, the first one is why, um, I mean, is that is that not herd immunity? If we got half the country, and just guessing at your numbers, possibly half the country having this thing, but not, you know, no, not that many people are showing any symptoms of it. Is yep. that not herd immunity pack, uh, pr protecting that, the other half? That's a good question. For, for measles, you need like 95% of the population to be immune to get herd immunity because it's so infectious. Yeah. And this virus is showing signs of being highly infectious like that. Um, so so I think we population. probably need, yeah, I think we need more than half the population. I mean, that would be a great help. But herd immunity really means that unvaccinated people will be protected because so many people are already protected. protected you know what I mean? basically because nobody's got it to give it to them. That's right. Exactly yeah. right. Okay. So, it's it's likely you might have to get up to 70 or 80% or more to, to achieve that. I got you. All right. And second and final question, 
Um, why two? Why why did he both both of the things that are out there, Madura and Pfizer, is a two shot thing. Why? Right. The straightforward answer is that the, the huge clinical trials they did showed were all based on two shots, and the two, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, both showed 90 to 95 percent efficacy after two shots. When they looked back, because they monitored people, they saw that after one shot there was maybe 50 percent protection but they really didn't design the trial that way and there's no in-depth study of how deep your immunity is or how long-lasting. So the best data they have is that two shots are, there two uh, the same are gonna thing? give you. Are there, are they yes, two? they have to be. So why don't they, they give you one great the, big shot? Sorry? Why don't they give you one great big shot? Why are they gotta give you two shots if they're two exactly well, the same? You know, the, the immune system works on a system called memory, immune memory, Mm-hmm. And it really, we know now from all the many years of work we've done on immunology around the world that two two tweaks is better than one. So it, the first tweak gives it the initial shot. The second shot gets those memory cells going and expands them. And the quality of the immunity and the, the length that it lasts is always better after two shots. Uh, that being said, you know, there had been suggestions, well, hey, why don't we just immunize more people with one shot? But it's just that, you know, the, the, the data for those two vaccines has all been, and the reason it got emergency use authority authorization from the FDA was based on that strong data from two shots. Okay. And then, I mean, I, I, I got a million questions, but I don't have any more time. Where can people, because yeah. you can't just listen to news. Everybody's got their bias and the CDC's got websites, but sometimes it's not that easy to read. Where, where do you suggest people go? online to find out more about a the two shots and b how susceptible they would be and and the third one of course is people calling around going where can i go to actually get my shot are they going to give it to me yeah um, for the scientific information i mean the cdc's there as you say it can be a, a, a bit confusing the nih or the niaid that dr fauci heads up has also got a great website they, they, and they were involved in the development of one of these vaccines. That's where you can get a lot of scientific info. In terms of distribution, it's down to each individual state. So, you know, I listen to the governor. I read the Times Picayune. I look on the website mm-hmm. because the state's making its own policy. I heard today, of course, that it's it's being pushed through Walgreens and CVS. I think. Well, I mean, uh, and and I, now, was at, I was at our Walgreens yesterday, and there were two people in front of me. In line, right. going, y'all, can I get my, nope, the shot is not coming to this Walgreens, so go find another. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I just think those are the problems of logistics, you know. The, mm-hmm. the rolling out of this thing is, is almost as problematical as developing it. Um, and I just think that information will be forthcoming if you just keep listening to the press, the TV, the news, because what's happening in other states isn't relevant to what's happening in Louisiana. It's, it's all going to be state-based rollout. Yeah. Um, and we do need a centralized information platform. But as of as of yesterday, I think the 70-year-olds and over are authorized and obviously already frontline healthcare people have been immunized and people in nursing homes. Um, but in terms of the public and various age and susceptibility groups, I think we've just got to keep our eyes and ears open, um, our pharmacies and our physicians, uh, our primary care guy, and, and, and reading the paper is, is a good idea too. Yeah, staying in front of and, it and just, just finding out if, if, you know, I don't know if you got to show up with a car and go, okay, uh, I got diabetes, so I should get it. Anyway, doctor. Uh, I don't doctor, think so. Yeah, I, well, you know, I, I'm not going to be the first, I can tell you that. 
So yeah, I know. I know my brother-in-law in in England. They've got 70 categories of person now, and he's on category 28. So they're a bit more organised in terms of who's getting it. You know, they're pushing their way through the most susceptible first. I think we need a system where people are going to get more direct information according to their age and their condition as, as to when they're going to get the virus, uh, the vaccine. And of course, it's not all here yet. You know, no, it's not. There's something else too. And plus that ding dong who took 500 doses and took them out the fridge. So Yeah, that's good work, isn't it? <laughs> Doc, I appreciate Great. you taking the time. Alison Ramsey with LG Health Sciences Center. I appreciate the information, man. Thanks for uh, Thanks for taking the time today. Anytime, Spud. All right. Well, good. I got your number, so I'm going to call you back. Okay. <laughs> hey, what you got going this weekend? Can't go to the game. You can't even tailgate. So what you going to do? Go fishing. Get yourself a licensed and insured charter guide on lasaltwater.com. Super easy to follow that website. What you going to catch? Where you want to catch it? How you want to catch it? All the big ones are waiting for you. And to top it off, you'll still be able to watch the game on TV at the lodge at the end of the day of fishing. Sounds great. Got an open spot for you, babe. You want in, just sign up on LASaltwater.com. Does the sound of thunder strike fear in your home? There's only one sure way to fix a flooding problem. Home Team Elevation. End the worry. Stop insurance rate hikes. Get your flooding problem fixed now with the Home Team Advantage. Experienced, hands-on, local owners. You want design choices? On the Home Team, you're the MVP. So don't wait. Elevate with Home Team Elevation because the flood stops here. Get your free quote at 3011222. or go to HomeTeamElevation.com. I scream, you scream, we all scream for beads and doubloons and coconuts and marching bands and walking clubs and tableaus and mask balls and mystic crews and everything else that says Mardi Gras. Keep Mardi Gras what it's always been, a family event before Lent. If you want to help keep traditions alive, go to MardiGrasAlliance.com and join the growing group of businesses, citizens, and carnival entities that want to keep Mardi Gras a safe and happy event without it being regulated to death. Go to MardiGrasAlliance.com and laissez les bon temps rouler. Okay, so uh, thanks a lot, Alistair Ramsey, for uh, all them fancy updates. I appreciate it, and I'm sure I'll have you back on again because you're very smart, and I learn a lot when you come on. In the meantime, thanks, everybody else, for joining me. Thank you for supporting all of the people who make the Spudcast podcast possible. Um, please do go and support all of their businesses. And uh, while you're at it, you can listen to me on Red Circle, on Spotify, on uh, Google Play, and then soon they'll be on other things, too. But mostly the nuanced folks uh, like to listen to me on Facebook. So I got Spud's Friends and Fans, John McConnell, and The Big Teasy. And I'm on, uh, on uh, Twitter, at SpudGotDat, at SpudGotDat. If you want to send me an email, you want to cuss me out, you want to have an idea for a show, or you want to get on an email list so I'll send the uh, podcast directly to you, the Spudcast Podcast at gmail.com. The Spudcast Podcast at gmail.com. Coming up tomorrow, Brian Lagarde of Project Nola is telling us how he's recording all the bad guys, not only here, but across the country. So stay tuned for that one. In the meantime, y'all be safe. Watch out for the crazies. I'll see you tomorrow, but I'm a gone pecan.